You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing positive impact on their city and the world. The difference is that they've got their cause piece down. They've got it sorted. They've got the social piece done. So we're just helping them with the marketing. I now need to take that idea and translate it into marketing and cause and apply it to small businesses. And I think if I can do that, then we're onto onto something pretty good. This is the season finale for Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. 43 episodes in, it's been great to meet and hear from so many fascinating Melburnians. I'm taking a break over summer as I work on a couple of other projects. We'll be back with new seasons of the podcast next year, looking at other cities and other areas of subtle disruption. For this week... Of a season-appropriate episode about social enterprise and Christmas. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Cliff Moss on the subtle disruption of our Christmas spend. You want to start by telling us where we are? Yeah, of course. And why you've chosen this place? Well, we're in the uh, bustling heart of Melbourne City, um, but a very quiet place, Mingary. Um, I think that's how you say it. Uh, I have uh, frequented this on numerous occasions when I used to work in an office around the corner and it was pretty hectic come and sit in a beautiful quiet room that you just saw um, for five minutes or ten minutes or half an hour and just capture my thoughts and let them go yeah Um, and I thought you know you being a professional meditator and me having had that same ridiculous crazy experience (laughs) that you'd appreciate meeting here yeah I do. I, as I was saying when we, just before we started this, I've walked past here a lot of times and it is, even just walking past, it has a really nice feel to it, this place. It's got an outdoor garden with um, some really nice plants and rocks. And I've never been, that was the first time I've been into that quiet area inside. Well, you know the beauty of this is that I've never sat here <laughs> right. in this garden. Yeah. I walk past, you know, quite quickly in city mode yeah with my shoulders bent forward probably a bit too much and I trundle up those stairs and you know I go into that little room and I just calm down yeah. but I never actually even saw this little garden spot yeah, right. that we're in now yeah. I didn't even know it was here so this is great so I'm very grateful <laughs> and when did you start coming here was it after your Vipassana yeah yeah so I, yeah so I did my first Vipassana in 2003 um, that was in New Zealand, and beautiful place to do it. it I think that's my sister did it there yeah, as well. Yeah, lovely centre, really, really nice. Uh, and then I arrived full time, so maybe, or maybe it was 2002, and I came full time to Melbourne in 2003. So you know, I was on the Vipassana meditation train, so to speak, and I, I walked past, and I would have seen the, um, the the board probably in 2005 or six when I started working in the office around the corner. Yeah on the Helen and Priere Sculpture Award and um, just saw, wow, that's, that's interesting. A quiet place in the city where you can actually go and sit and meditate and yeah. there's no charge. Just follow the rules, which are, I think there's one, be quiet. Um, easy peasy, I'll do that, that'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, so probably around then. And it's tailed off a bit recently, so now I'm working out of Collingwood most of the time. I'm still lucky enough to have a desk here in the city, but there's uh, well, there's four of us at the moment, and that's not enough space for the, 
for the four of us in the city. So we've got a, a co-share in, in Collingwood and uh, recently in the last two years, last three years, I've had a couple of kids. So the meditation is slowly taking more and more of a backseat. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think in the 15 minutes before you arrived, that's probably 15 minutes in the last year or two that I've sat here. Okay. Yeah. 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 Do you meditate at home? Um, I would be lying if I said to you I was meditating now. Um, I do when I get a chance, um, but it's nothing like the daily practice that I used to have. Yeah. Um, so, kids is, you know, for anybody who's listening, who's got kids, they know, especially young ones like yourself, you've been there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a full-time thing, and if I can, I, I know the answer, I know the answer. The answer is, wake up at six. Because now they're, they're starting, we're starting to find a little bit of routine. Wake up at six, I've got an hour to myself. I can stretch and I can calm my mind down and yeah. then I'll deal with the, <laughs> the mayhem. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you about Fashioner as well. And what, what did you, it sounds like you've done it more than once. I have done it more yeah. than once. Did you do it the second time in Melbourne? I did it in New South Wales. Okay. Uh, I didn't know there was a... Is there a school yeah, there there's, that's where I did it up in oh, yeah, uh, near yeah, Hillsville. That's right, of course, yeah. of course. Yes, I, I did do it there. I've uh, in Hillsville. Yeah, so Hillsville. Uh, I wanted to see the green, the green mountains. I want to see the blue mountains yeah. um, because I wanted to know why they were blue and if they were actually were blue and they were and I loved it. Yeah. It was great. Uh, I spent nine out of the ten days. Um, so yeah, in that case, it was a full ten day retreat. Um, but I, in in Hillsville here, I've done it three days. Okay. Yeah. Um, I spent nine out of the ten days being really, really impatient. And the last day working out that I should have just chilled out a bit more. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I did, it, I did it just outside of London as well. Oh yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. What, so I've done it once, once. What did you find you got out of it? You know, what was... Oh man. I mean, yeah. okay, so let, let me, that's a, that's a very broad question I know, but well, yeah, I, I found that let me explain yeah, sure. my experience out of it. I'd like to contrast it with your own, I guess. Sure. But the time, I just found like the four days after I came out of a passion, I, I felt like I had superpowers in terms of being able to be present and to see what was happening with people, just to see people as they were and to work and to know what was me and what was them. I remember going yep. to a cafe yep. and looking at people and just knowing what was going on with them. Yep. That was one of the big standouts yep. for me. Did you have any kind of experiences like that? Or yeah, that? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely, completely can relate to that. Um, I think you know, probably a similar, similar, similar story would be that I wish I'd pressed the record button when I got home and, and decided to play a few records I've been DJing for 20 years. Yeah. Not, what are we, 16? Yeah, 20, 25, 22 years. And uh, I got home I mean, one of the things I really wanted to do was listen to music when I came out of 10 days of silence. Yeah. I got home and I put some records on, and I, like I said, I wish I pressed the record button because my mixing was just spot on. <laughs> Keys, beats, lyrics, call and repeat, the whole thing was just absolutely mind-blowing. I was like, wow, do I have to sit for 10 days every time I go and play records? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a, a real sharpness and awareness. What, what, what really hit home for me was how difficult it was to bring that practice, that purity of 10 days of silence into everyday life. I, I, I think that when you hear of people saying, wow, it's so hard, you'll leave after day three, or you're never gonna be able to cope with 
this or that, and, you know, loads of people have lots of stories. I think the hardest part is continuing a practice afterwards. Yeah. That was my biggest insight. And I could really see how people fall into the rabbit hole of meditation and do, you know, well-being in inverted commas and, you know, start to espouse the virtues and holier than thou and all this sort of stuff and, and not be able to integrate it into everyday life because things happen, shit happens, life happens, the bed gets made, the bed doesn't get made, you know, things get dropped, you've got to go to work, and you've got to try and integrate into that. So having the superpowers that you speak of, you've still got those superpowers, but they just get dissipated in all the distractions that we've got, and being able to bring them back in every now and again, just like we have, I suppose, a little bit today, Yeah. that's, that's probably the, 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 the strongest ongoing um, insight I've taken out of it. Yeah. Now, it's easy to sit back and go, oh, I did a 10 day meditation, great, pat on the back, well done for you. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. Really. It's, it, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like an old car, you know, when you had the choke, you'd start the engine, but you'd pull the choke out to get you going. Well, that's what a, like a 10 days. Totally. It's part of a much bigger story. For me, it was a, it was an eye opener as well to what, humans are actually capable of like what what is actually there if if you're prepared to suffer yeah. and do the work yeah. that needs to be done yeah yeah like you say you know it's great to have that well for me those four days of superpowers it took me 10 days of meditation to have those you know those four days and it's not feasible to do that on an ongoing basis but I mean if I could develop some kind of ongoing practice I mean I wonder I wonder what I what is there that I don't know well, that I'm not aware of. It is. It, it's my. It's one of my. One of my. I don't want to use the word regret. It's not a regret. It's, it's one of my biggest challenges right now. It really is one of my biggest challenges because I had a practice before I went to Vipassana. I'd sit for 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. Um, in the morning when I woke up, and after Vipassana I would sit for months, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. That yeah, turned that's into funny. a. Encourages, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, an hour in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening, which turned into an hour in the morning, which turned into 50 minutes in the morning, which eventually yeah. has turned into nothing in the morning and the odd occasion. Yeah. Uh, so the challenge is to get back to a daily practice because it's good for me mm. and it's good for the people that I interact with yeah. because I become um, a better person to interact with. I don't know if I'm a better person, but I'm a better person to interact with. And That's a great way to put it. I can, yeah. I can interact in a more um, uh, synergistic way because it, it just helps you to be more aware. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads to so many great things. It does. You know, yeah. humili humility, vulnerability, gratitude, understanding where opportunity actually is and when opportunity presents itself to you and how it's presenting itself to you. Yeah. You know, um, you know, jumping from one thought to the next uh, is not a way to really um, make the most of the energy that's coming your way. And that's where meditation, it, it takes time and it saves time because the decisions, the quality of the interactions and the quality of the thought and the quality of the output is just so much higher. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and Absolutely. That takes less time to get there. <laughs> yeah, it takes time. It takes time. I've got to. I've got to be brave enough to uh, wake up at six a.m. 
get up at 6 a.m., not wake up, get up at 6 a.m. Uh, and go and sit, and it will it will hold me in good stead. And you know what? Off the back of this conversation, I'm going to do it. Awesome. Okay. So when we next meet, you you can you can you can ask me. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk a bit about your workplaces. So you're in Collingwood at the moment. You you also have here in the city, just on Collins Street. Yeah. What what are you doing at why do you have two workplaces and what are you doing at each of them? Okay, so it's a very good question. I'm very lucky to have two workspaces. I've got a space that I have been um, uh, very kindly loaned by a very good friend in um, Flinders Lane since uh, coming out of my old marketing agency um, in 2005, 6, 2006. Um, and um, I had a desk there and kind of got myself back up and running and then started working from there. Um, and then in the meantime, fast forward seven or eight years, uh, having got a business off the ground, social responsibility, strategic marketing consultancy, uh, there wasn't sufficient space at my desk to do that. I needed to hang my shingle somewhere. Uh, and I have slowly reduced and reduced and reduced my time and my space here in, in Flinders Lane and uh, working out of the co-share in Collingwood with a team of one full-time partner and two part-time. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's how and why. I'm really lucky as soon as Mark and his team need that desk back, whooshka, You're I'll okay. be gone. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. It's been, a, he's really helped me get a leg up yeah. and get back into get back into work and that's what that's been about. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've, you've got a, a creative agency background. So you say a marketing agency? So. Uh, yeah, that's right. I uh, dreamt up a marketing agency out of a film background. Prior to that, I was in commercial oh, right. property. Yeah, okay. Um, so it's a bit sort of jack of all trades. I've done quite a few things, um, which has led me to this final resting place, if you like, yeah. which I, I really, I'm really comfortable with. I'm really happy with, with what I'm doing. So I'm using uh, a lot of uh, old marketing days experience and brand agency experience and bringing it to bear in the good social responsibility space. Yeah. yeah. What we'll talk a little bit about the work that you're doing now, which is what you're sort of hinting at there, but what brought about was there a moment of change that that took you along that path? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, there was definitely a moment of change. Um, I had finished working with my old agency I'd sold out to my partners um, and my father and sister had dreamt up a child literacy charity that was being worked out of we created dreamt up and created in South Africa it was a tiny little pilot project working out of one school yeah um, and my sister, who's who's an amazing person, you know, really uh, incredible energy. I, I refer to her as like the tip of an arrowhead. She will cut through, yeah. but she'll leave a hell of a mess behind her. <laughs> um, so she was cutting through, literally, um, in Cape Town, pulling together volunteers and going to schools and uh, getting this child literacy charity kind of going. But it was never going to turn into a. Into a, into a proper organisation. It was never going to be a, uh, a, a fully working business, if you like, um, without some, some business smarts behind it. 
So the timing was just right for me to pick up and go and take, you know, ship her out and deal with all these cardboard boxes of kids' books and, yeah. uh, you know, a mobile phone of data uh, and turn it into a proper organisation. And during the, during the course of four months in Cape Town with a very wonderful ex-girlfriend, good friend, she was an amazing administrator, she's now actually coordinating 15, I think 15,000 or 10,000 volunteers, or was for Wesley. It was a you know, kind of pivotal thing for her to go and do as well. But with her help, we, we, we turned it into you know, a fully working organisation with its own office and you know, staff and board and budget, and we made a film. Uh, and we raised some money and during the course of that there was one key moment which involved getting a car branded to drive into townships quite a good idea for people to know why you're there and it says help to read call us to donate children books children's books and games on the car and there was a lady sitting next to me while the car was getting branded up vinyled um, and she said oh i've got books and games at home you should you know you should come and get them because i'm moving away and um, you know, I'll get them out of the cupboards because the boys have grown up. Yeah. They're you know, ten-year-olds. I've got all these books. So you should come and get them. I didn't think anything of it until she calls me up. I go down there, and I walk out of the house with three big boxes of really fun games and books, which is what our volunteers use to engage these illiterate children when they come out of classrooms of 50, 55 kids in a classroom and afraid to put their hand up because they can't read what's on the blackboard so they go and sit with a help to read volunteer who sits next to them like an adult sits with their kid their child and helps them grow in confidence and self-esteem and become a lover of books and reading so you need good books for that yeah i walk out with these three boxes of great books and yeah. i put them down in the car and i'm driving in away and I, away and i thought wow all those books we need are right there they're stuck in people's cupboards and I've got to access them. How am I going to access them? And the point at that light bulb moment is that I will access them at the exact point when those people feel they're going to access those cupboards, which is when they're moving out. Yeah. And this is not uh, an exaggeration of any, by any stretch. I made a phone call that day to the managing director of Pickfords, which is a big removals company, and I was in his office the next day. Yeah. And we were, he was printing up boxes with help to read brand on it and delivering them to people's houses wow. at the same time delivering their ordinary boxes so that they, their customers were getting to not move the stuff that they didn't want to move but it would go to a great place, to a charity like us. And Pickfords were doing a great thing. Yeah. You know, they were, they, they were doing something socially responsible and that was great for them and their brand. Uh, and it was that was that that was the moment where I could see that there was a way to think really strategically, help businesses to elevate themselves from a marketing standpoint, from a brand standpoint, to help organisations, causes to get something out of it. That was the moment which kind of set me off on that social responsibility path. That was a, a moment of inspiration because it's it's that trigger point. You're right. If you can just access that trigger point for people, yeah, just reduces all the friction yeah. out of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, it was 2000. What did I say? 2007. I was there. Um, the guys who were doing couch surfing that turned into Airbnb had inspiration too. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, that's what happens. And now, I mean, how successful has that has that been? Well, that's. I'm going to answer 
there's, there's two questions there. It's a kind of loaded question. One is how successful has Help to Read been? The other is how successful has the program been with Pickfords? <laughs> yeah, so both, yeah. Help to Read have gone on. When I got there, there was a mobile phone with some names in it, one school with a pilot program with four volunteers and a garage full of boxes. Uh, fast forward 10 years, we just had the 10 year anniversary. They've helped over 12 and a half thousand children to become literate. Um, they have a whole suite of partners. It's going great guns, it's amazing. I can't say the same for the Pickford's relationship. <laughs> right. So I might've had a great idea. I might've had a light bulb moment, but I was completely immature in my approach to how something like that could be ingrained into an organization. So even though John, what's his name, the, the MD of Pickford's, was into it and passionate about it like I was, when he left nearly two years later to go and take a job in the UK with another big company, the thing fell over. And, you know, that was a huge learning. Yeah. Um, you, you can't just rely on somebody within the business to be the champion. You need a champion, yeah. but the champion's got to ingrain it downstream, upstream and across. Yeah. So, you know, they're still getting books coming from different places. I don't know if they have a relationship with a removals company at the moment. I'll have to look into that one. Yeah. I consult every now and again, but that's all. <laughs> so, I know a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, based out of the, the place in Collingwood that you've got three other, yep. three other people working there. Yeah, so I've got a partner, a full-time partner, and um, we're currently working on a pretty a campaign that is of our uh, creation called the Good Christmas Trail. Yeah. And so we've got two people working specifically on that. Um, one is an intern who's come out of uh, New York. She arrived recently. She's great. I already want to keep her. She hasn't even been with us for two days. Uh, and the other is a, um, a young lady who runs a very small social enterprise who I also found in a sort of strange way on Airtasker. Do you know about Airtasker? Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to keep her as well. She's great. Yeah. So um, we're four at the moment, and we're crammed into a little office. And, uh, well, it's a big warehouse space, but yeah. you know so what it's like with work now. You don't, you're not always in a place. You're present wherever you are, really. Totally, yeah. I kind of like it that way, but it does have its downside yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, you said the Good Christmas Trail? Yeah. And the work that you were doing there with the Children's Literacy Program yeah. and that light bulb moment and the learnings about embedding things in organisations, has that influenced the Good Christmas Trail or is, is it, has that come from another place? Um, it, it, it's definitely influenced it in that it's been one of the stepping stones to get there. Um, uh, I realise, you know, this, yeah, look, there's the... The Good Christmas Trail is um, a marketing initiative to help social enterprises get noticed. Yeah. And we do it at a time when people are thinking about spending money on hospitality or gifts. And we want to direct um, their attention to social enterprises because there are loads of great social enterprises mm. who are essentially small businesses doing something with a community benefit or a social mission attached to it, that's what a social enterprise is, um, who aren't getting noticed. They're not the flavour of the month charities or flavour of the month organisations. They're very small, they're small businesses and they need help. Yeah. And they need help. And I'm not saying I'm helping them um, 
you know, in a, in, 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 in a super benevolent way, I mean, yeah, this is a big social responsibility um, piece of activity, or socially responsible piece of activity that we are carrying out as an organisation. But it, it helps my consulting business get noticed, and my consulting business helps to put butter on the toast, or just Vegemite, not a lot of butter, <laughs> um, to finance these kind of projects. So the light bulb moment was more to do with I want my, the skills that I've got I can apply them in a way that is actually going to make me feel good yeah. rather than the skills that I've got I'm applying to help a acne business put another layer of chocolate on a biscuit and tell the world it's the greatest biscuit on earth and that was not really working for me. Yeah. So yeah the light bulb moment was a stepping stone towards a campaign like the Good Christmas Trail and to my uh, strategic marketing social enterprise good business matters but there's not a lot out of that light bulb moment that's in those yeah. particular activities it's interesting your marketing for me i've had a bit of a i guess i don't marketing's not my strength i have to say um in the breathing business that i'm doing thankfully one of the key partners is a marketing person good and I think I've even had a bit of a prejudice against marketing yeah. Yeah, through my life. It's like, it's misleading, it's, um, it's all about tricking people, um, but that's changed over the past few years. Maybe because as I've got closer to small business and I've, I've started to do my own things as well, I've realised the importance of it, even though I may not be that skilled at it. and. Even thinking about things like the US presidential election today, right? right? Thinking yeah. We're both talking about how it looks like Trump has a chance of winning just as we're recording can, this. Can, can, is... can you just, I haven't got much hair on my head, but it's all sticking up at the moment. It's, it's a bit frightening. It is a bit frightening. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully we're, hopefully we're wrong. Yeah. Um, but just thinking about how important it is when you've got a good message to tell, to tell it well, to tell it in a way that is going to resonate. And that is still in a in a way that's aligned and congruent and full of integrity. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it, anyway? Look, I I I, look, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, on the you know in terms of how you've described marketing, um, it's a bit of a you know, is it isn't it? Does it work? Doesn't it work? Is it worth doing? Isn't it worth doing? And then um, in in you know historically, it's been. Uh, it's been misused in a way, and businesses have been misrepresented. Uh, what, the the era that we're in now, the you know, in terms of what I bang on about, in terms of age of responsibility or age of sustainability, or uh, as as I often say, if we keep going the way we're going, in terms of um, uh, you know consumption, and we've become great consumers since we managed to uh, um, work out how to make things. Yeah. Um, if we keep going, we'll eat our own heads off. So it's got to it's got to stop. Um, and in in the in the scope of that era or this era that we're in now, and how that work, how that how that aligns with technology and being able to see into other people's worlds like you were never able to. You know, um, the need for authenticity has never been greater. In fact, you get you'll get nailed if you're not open and authentic and true, you'll get nailed very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, consumers are more and more and more discerning. So in a way, if you're coming around, coming, coming, 
to your marketing or your messaging from that place, you're in a great place. And it's actually the easiest way to do it because all you're doing is telling the truth. You don't need to make anything up. You you've just got to remember got to the lies you've told. Yeah, <laughs> you just got to message it right. Yeah. Now that, in terms of small businesses, is not an easy thing to do, or for anyone, an easy thing to do. And um, you know, for smaller businesses, just paddling is hard enough, right? Yeah. Just paddling to stay still is hard enough. Yeah. You know, if you're a cafe or you're a restaurant, just making sure the sausages have arrived on time and the chef's making them who might have called in sick or the second chef, you know, you're trying to make it happen and it's hard. Yeah. Marketing, forget that, we'll put that to the back of the queue. The Good Christmas Trail is a marketing initiative that is kind of ready-made step-up marketing. We, yeah. we, we're saying, we, we're going to just, we're going to do the marketing campaign, you've just got to jump on board. Because the message isn't the ABC cafe, it's the greatest cafe on earth and we've got free range eggs and um, you know all our food's fair trade. That's not the message. The message is choose conscient conscientiously when you're thinking about consuming, when you're thinking about your Christmas party, when you're thinking about your Christmas catering. Think about the sorts of gifts you're gonna buy. That's not the wording of the campaign, it's a bit simpler than that, but that's, that's the idea. And for every organisation who believes in conscientious consumption, they can just step into that because that's the message they're selling. Yeah. So what we're endeavouring to do is to create a uh, ready-made marketing campaign for them to step into, and then we will prompt and prod them with the digital Facebook posts and tweets and material and imagery that they can use to engage their customers and audience be it online or offline. Yeah, right. So they are they going for, is it as themselves or is it, is it as the Good Christmas Trail? It's, it, it, the, we go out under the, 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 the Good Christmas Trail is a, is a website. Yeah. It's a repository of social enterprises that are in the gifts, catering, cafes and restaurant space. Yeah. So if you see one of the posters, which will be up in the city in a couple of weeks, or you see something online um, and you think, oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I won't just get another XYZ company plastic toy. Uh, maybe I will think about buying recycled. This site looks interesting. I'll go there. And then you can choose from any number of social enterprises yeah. who are doing the right thing. Let's uh, let people know what the name of the website is. <laughs> so yeah, good good, good idea. Yeah, it's goodxmastrail.org. Goodxmastrail.org. Yeah. Good and we tried to be non-secular. Yeah. We didn't want to upset anyone. <laughs> good happy holidays trail. <laughs> um, it was originally called, and there is a brief history post on the uh, Trail Gazette, which is our blog. It was originally called the Good Xmas Crawl. Oh, yeah. Because the idea was that there were all these fabulous social enterprises popping up out of the ground that you could go to street for a cup of coffee, uh, for your Christmas coffee, and then you could go down to the crepes for change van and get a crepe and help, you know, rehouse a disengaged um, young person. And then you could end up at Shabin and buy a beer and know that your money was going to the right place. Yeah. Uh, but then we realised very quickly after a bit of quick, agile customer research that people don't do that. They might <laughs> yeah. go out for a cup of coffee, they might go out for a crepe, and they might buy a gift.
but in every instance they are leaving a trail of good wherever they go so we went with trail nice <laughs> yeah so you've mentioned a couple i mean can you mention a few of the the social enterprises that are on the list maybe i don't know yeah. maybe you don't want to do that because you might have favorites but you might want to name not want to name favorites but no, is there a few that jump out it's yeah there are a few obviously there are a few that jump out obviously it was it was it was born last year so organizations who have come back from last year come come to mind i mean i've mentioned crepes for change it's a it's a van they sell crepes and they change people's lives it's simple as that yeah. um there are new 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 kids on the block um one that comes to mind because you know the young guy who is uh behind it a guy called ariel hirsch um is he's right on my case you know he's right on me he's, he's emailing me and he's calling me and he, he he's it's clicked for him he, he's really got it he can see that he doesn't have to create a marketing campaign he doesn't have to come up with the creative he doesn't have to come up with the the the, the social media strategy he doesn't have to come up with um, the words or the pictures he doesn't have to come up with anything other than getting his product seen through our site and he realizes that we're the marketers so he's calling me up saying what do you think of my hamper what they do they're called fruit to work they sell uh, fruit hampers to corporates and every and the proceeds of the hampers go to help rehabilitating ex cons ex-criminals yeah, right. giving them a second chance at life yeah. and yeah they're, they're, they're on it you know there are some of the better known names like who gives a crap who were involved in the first year who were involved this year yeah. fingers crossed that when this comes out and people are listening that street will be involved yeah. um, I had a meeting with them today we may be doing a launch their new headquarters which is where is that that's in Collingwood oh, yeah. it's the East Melbourne side of Collingwood on Cromwell Street it's a beautiful bakery it's incredible yeah. really 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 amazing building they've done a great job um, and then you've got you know a community kitchen out in Roeville called Recipe for Change uh, who do incredible stuff and you know run by a powerhouse of a woman who's employing people in the same way that street does you know who need to be trained up you know uh, work for the doll programs getting putting them into a kitchen and then serving her local community with gold coin donation meals which you could get you know at pretty much any cafe quality yeah. Um, and yeah I could go on I know I've forgotten I've got what at the moment we've got 34 or 35 on board the most recent addition we're in Melbourne City they're called Hosier hoodies the graffiti out of Hosier Lane, the artists who put that up are bringing their services and selling their graffiti services onto hoodies, onto hooded sweatshirts that are being sold and $20 from each sweatshirt goes to helping you know, the kids of, you know, homeless kids, part of the STEPS program around Flinders, yeah, Flinders, yeah. Uh, Flinders Street to rehome them. Yeah. They're a tiny organisation um, and what's brilliant in so many ways is so inspiring these all these organizations have us like i said there's 34 at the moment if we get to 50 by the first of december that'd be fabulous that would be great um they're putting money into it yeah. they're putting their hands in their pocket to be involved yeah and we've insisted that they put their hand in their pocket to be involved and it's not a lot of money you know it's 550 dollars 
and that money goes into a marketing pot, a real marketing pot. Not, it's not being spent on the website, we spent the money to do that. Yeah. It's not being spent on project management or creativity, it's being spent on posters, on Facebook advertising, on CBD lifts and foyers, you know, targeted advertising, flyering into people's hands, into mum's hands, because mums, with their young kids, your wife and my wife, are the people who are most, we think, at the moment, disposed to thinking in this more sort of conscientious way. Right. So we'll be turning up outside school facts, we'll be turning up outside um, night markets, and flyering, hand-to-hand flyering, getting messages into people's hands. Yeah. Um, and so these social enterprises are putting a hand in their pocket and they're putting money into a marketing campaign. And the fact that they're spending real money on it gets them on the phone to me and emailing and engaged. Yes, they want a return yeah. on their investment and good for them, they should. Yeah. Is there, is there any plan to target, say, corporates as well for like Christmas parties and you know, catering and that kind of thing? Is there any social enterprises doing stuff in that area that you know of? So the corporates for their catering and Christmas parties are the, are the end clients. They're the end consumers of this. We want them to go to the website yeah, and okay. choose to get their catering from, from Street or Charcoal Lane, yeah. one of the very few, if not only 100% um, indigenous restaurant in Melbourne. Um, you know, in terms of the, the food, uh, you could get your catering served up, you know, in a, you know fully indigenous menu. Yeah. Uh, by them. So yeah, the corporates, we would want them to be the end, the end customers. Uh, I would also love it if a corporate wanted to support this. Um, I've been in conversations with a couple and they, I suppose the, the truth of the matter is it wasn't up and running and they couldn't see it. Uh, they couldn't see it and feel it and they needed it to be a more resolved proposition. When I turned up, it was a, it was a proposal and a document. Yeah. Uh, so I actually put aside the attempts to get sponsorship and funding to help pay for more marketing and more visibility and more traffic to the website uh, until next year when we yeah. can go back with something far more resolved. Yeah. So I've put my hand in my pocket this time. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> ah, good stuff. I must be, like part of the good thing about doing this podcast is the people I get to meet. I imagine you, you're getting to meet some awesome people and awesome organizations like you've already described through through doing this as well all those social enterprises yeah, yeah. it's it's incredible it's so it's so inspiring uh, i know that's a word that's hugely overused but i really am you know i've got two kids now one's two and a half the other one's 10 months um i think my life would be hard enough if i didn't have a job just being just helping out as a dad um but having a job um that i really love that I bounce out of bed for, um, with organisations that I know are working, you know, for every dime, really, really hard, and and desperate to put that money back into the cause yeah. that they're supporting is is a uh, it's a real um, it's a real boon for me. You know, I, I'm, I'm really happy about that. I'm really grateful that I'm working in the space that I'm working in. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Uh, you mentioned that you do some other kind of consulting to put the Vegemite on the toast. Yeah. yeah. What's that? What sort of is that with the people in Collingwood as well that you're working with? Or yeah. That, yeah. So um, uh, uh, the um, the business, good business matters 
uh, which was, you know, conceived as a um, was going to be an ebook to help small businesses do good, socially responsible marketing. Yeah. Completely, the idea completely went fell flat as a pancake. <laughs> and not a tasty crepe like a crepes for change <laughs> pancake, but it's just a bad pancake. And um, yeah, we realised quite quickly. I realised very quickly that if I didn't start making some money, I wasn't going to be able to do anything. Uh, so I started working on projects and ideas like the removals company, going seeing a removals company and saying, hey, why don't you do this? And this might be a good way for you to raise your profile. And because of my brand background, uh, I teamed up with a very experienced branding agency out of New Zealand. And that is the service that we now um, provide is a uh, brand uh, definition um, and uh, yeah, branding service, I suppose, but really around social purpose and uh, how you fit your social, uh, social mission message or social uh, purpose into your brand and how you get that out of your brand, how you actually express that. So we've done quite a few jobs, or quite a few, half a dozen jobs in the last 18 months to um, come up with new brands for companies or redefine existing ones. Um, and that, that's helped you know, put some Vegemite on the toast. Yeah. 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 Can you talk about one of those companies that you've done that for? I'm pretty interested in that process. Um, yeah, I can talk about one. I'm just wondering which is which is relevant. Okay, uh, yeah, a really good one would be, um, and it's actually being launched in a couple of weeks' time. It's a new brand for a 30-year-old business. So the 30-year-old business is the Thornbury Women's Neighbourhood House and the Preston Neighbourhood House. Now, a neighbourhood house is essentially a community centre. Uh, the Preston Neighbourhood House merged with the Thornbury Neighbourhood House. They managed to get a grant for uh, a not insignificant amount of money to go to rebranding and remarketing themselves as a, as a different entity. And um, my partner Simon was a volunteer and is a volunteer at the Thornbury Women's Neighbourhood House working in the garden now and again. And he got wind of it and, um, you know, God bless him, good for him. He, he said, look, this is the sort of stuff that we do, let's have a conversation about it. And we ended up redoing their branding with a lot of help from the experts in New Zealand. And we are launching that uh, on the 24th of November. The new business um, is called The Bridge. And it encompasses, encompasses both the neighbourhood houses. They haven't changed what they do, um, but we have refined their offer and we actually wrote them a robust business and marketing plan for what it is they're going to do and how they're going to make money because they have to make money even though they get um, DHS funding. Uh, the reason that Preston Neighbourhood House was able to absorb the Thornbury Neighbourhood House, which wasn't doing so well, was because they were running like a commercial operation ship. Um, it's not that they weren't doing community work, they were doing a lot of community work, but they were making sure that it was economically viable. Yeah. So we've worked with them to create a business and marketing plan that means they can go on doing more of that. Uh, and um, the brand's fantastic. The bridge name is absolutely right because they are about connecting 
um, individuals with their community. They're about helping people move from A to B to get started, to give them a kick in the pants, to, 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 to show them the reasons why they should do things. And, and I'm really proud of the work. I think it's fantastic. It's yeah. really, really good stuff. Yeah. I really, yeah, I admire the work that you're doing, helping organizations like that that are trying to do good they're often smaller like you say and it's the type of marketing and branding work that you do with them is often put on the back burner yeah and to have um yep. that help with someone who gets them someone who's got the skills can just add so much value to them yeah and enable them to achieve what they want to achieve yeah yeah the fact they want to have yeah yeah, yeah. it is it's you know the work that we do on the sort of brand creation brand development but also i'm really sort of naturally inclined to move towards campaign work and cause related marketing and cause related partnerships yeah uh, cause related mar marketing which is essentially what the pickford's help to read idea was it was a cause related yeah. piece of marketing um that's that's where I kind of, kind of sort of, it's like a magnet kind of takes me <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. You know, why did we dream up the Good Christmas Trail? Well, you know, that's the magnet at work right yeah, there. I yeah, wanted, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a campaign person. I want to think about uh, campaign activity um, that is going to help people make noise about the stuff that they do. Um, well, yeah, we are coming to the end. So I've got a couple of questions that I ask as we do wrap up. The first one's about a, a disruption that you want to be part of one day or that you you would like you, you imagine or you daydream about being part of that you're not currently part of you know, is there something that comes to mind when I say that that's sort of in, in the idea garden at the yeah, back of your head yeah look it's, it's uh, I, I can answer that uh, really honestly it's I'm kind of part of it but we're not there yet the holy grail for marketers and for um uh, spaces that a lot of businesses want to get into to to, to, um, uh, to assist with is small business. Small business needs help, and there's loads of them. And um, they, if I could, if I could help small businesses, if I could really help small businesses, um, and do it in a way that enabled them to to catalyse their desire to be socially responsible. Then I could, you know, I, I could go and sit in a corner and do nothing for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'd be happy. That would be it. That would be great. Yeah. And the social, the Good Christmas Trail with this, with these social enterprises on board, is a tiny little dot towards that. But they are small businesses. They're just like any other small business. The difference is that they've got their cause piece down. They've got it sorted. They've got the social piece done. Yeah. So. We're just helping them with the marketing. I now need to take that idea and translate it into marketing and cause and apply it to small businesses. And I think if I can do that, then we're onto we're onto something pretty good. Yeah, I like the sound of that too. Because I think there is a real appetite among business owners, at least those I'm coming across at the moment, it's probably a bit of confirmation bias, to, <laughs> to put some purpose and meaning into what they're doing as well. Yeah. And maybe sometimes it's hard to imagine how that's possible through the business they're in. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. 
maybe it's hard to imagine how it's possible through the business they're in, but they, they just haven't quite got there yet. Yeah. But I, I, I rely on a, um, on a, 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 on a little, a little idea that I, I have is that in every single person we have in our reptilian brains a citizen within us. You know, we were all tribal. And we all looked after each other and we all hunted for each other yeah. um, and we helped out um, and we collaborated when we were in a cave <laughs> and that just got overtook by needing an LCD screen in every room um, and consuming and capitalism but I think the citizen part is coming back yeah. that's my hope anyway that's what gets me out of bed that's a good thing to be working on regardless the last question is about yourself and this relating it back to this podcast about subtle disruption and subtle disruptors and thinking about a small change or a subtle change that you've made in your own life that's had a significant impact or a um, sustaining impact something that would be interesting for other people to hear about as well well you know I think it's quite a good question insofar as wrapping up the podcast because of what we talked about at the beginning, mm. about meditation, about Vipassana, and going off and doing a 10-day silent retreat is not a small change. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. That is a huge thing to do. It is. It is. It is and, and, and just to be able to afford the time to have 10 days yeah. to go and sit and not be disturbed by your mobile phone or a computer screen or a book or the TV or anyone is in a way hugely selfish um, and it's an amazing thing to be able to do but before I went and did that I made a very very small change which just followed reading a couple of pages in a book which was to say to myself I'm going to try this meditation thing out and I sat still for 10 minutes trying to observe my breath going in and out of my nose and trying to deal with thoughts in a way that I didn't get down the rabbit hole of my thoughts but just trying to meditate yeah. and you know I'm not saying go and do you know it's about doing a passion of meditation but try and sit for five minutes that's a tiny thing do that a few times and as you will attest to yourself uh, it can have significant impact but it is a good way to bring it full circle. Thanks for Thank you. taking the time. I really for, appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. For yeah, I hope it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it did to me. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.